Welcome to Postwave. We're here with Trevor and Eric and Matt. How's it going? So today we're going to be talking about spectralism, which is this movement within uh, contemporary classical music that started in the 70s or so, and uh, kind of microtonality in, in general. Before we jump into spectralism, maybe, uh, Matt, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Matt Flores. Uh, I'm good friends with Trevor, uh, who kind of introduced me into this whole uh, new age music. music <laughs> yeah, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, man. Let's bring some sage. <laughs> I'm, pre- I'm pretty new age. Yeah, it's definitely very true. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I I met Trevor in high school, and we've been playing music ever since. Uh, yep, the trombonist, so it's good stuff. Yep, yep. brass brass, brass section, section. Buddies. heck yeah. All right, I see how <laughs> it is. <laughs> so uh, so Matt, how did you get into music? Um, well, so originally, um, my cousin played saxophone, and uh, when I started music that's kind of what i want to do uh, everybody wants to play saxophone that's like the biggest rage ever uh and third sexiest instrument I'm pretty yeah sure. of course third sexiest what's <laughs> number one and two i think guitar and piano <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe violin violin might be in the cool, yeah yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, cute that you threw piano in there yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, well I saw, I saw a poll going around on Facebook, I don't know how accurate it was. But. Uh, clear, yeah, clearly, yeah, this, clearly. This little, the, the surveying poll was a little weak, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Biased. Yeah. Uh. Um, uh, and then I sucked at saxophone. And so I, then I wanted to play trumpet. You're supposed to blow. Uh, and, then, uh, <laughs> and then I thought, um, uh, so my dad played trumpet, so I wanted to go with that. Uh, um, but then I ended up settling with trombone and uh, have been playing that ever since. Uh, I did my undergrad at Texas State and then went up to New York uh, to Ithaca College where I did my master's. And that was a really fun time. It was really cold, uh, but glad to be mm. back in Austin uh, doing the thing, teaching, playing, you know. Cool. So, so you're uh, yeah, teaching and playing. You're like a professional trombonist now. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, didn't you like you, you started working at like a couple music schools, right? Right. Uh I guess I can plug. Uh so uh I, I <laughs> teach at the Austin School of Music, uh Bach to Rock and a couple high schools in the area, so uh yeah. Awesome. Excited to get started, yeah. That's really cool. Nice. And uh music uh music wise do a little bit of everything uh classical jazz latin uh with trevor sometimes we would just get together and just like jam for hours with like 
crazy synth like keyboard like just <laughs> pushing buttons and just live processing yeah we would we would take songs we would take like something like really con- like uh like like a classical tune or hymn and then just like slowly just transition it into like chaos mm. and see if we could bring it back or change it, <laughs> it was, yeah that's that's, that's good stuff yeah yeah mm. matt do you remember like the first time you heard anything that was microtonal Hmm. Or like alternate tuning system based. Uh, y- yeah, I think I think um, it must have been either late high school, early college, uh, and I think I totally just remember uh, trying not to just laugh in my seat, uh, just <laughs> like I don't know, like it it it. It can be definitely different if your if your ears are trained of just sort of the the normal what we normally get, but um, mm-hmm. you know uh, over the years, uh, like all that cookie cutter stuff kind of gets well cookie cutter, and then you're like ah oh, I want some some burnt cookies, and so you start listening to different things like different uh, different types of music, and um, yeah, it, it slowly your taste like kind of like it becomes more palatable, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, uh, the Western biases just kind of leak out the more time you give mm-hmm. it. Definitely. <laughs> Do y'all think that if like uh, you raised a kid with listening to either like only atonal music or only like microtonal music, that the kid would grow up and just be like, "Oh yeah, that's that's you know that's normal." Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, we can. We can see that uh, verifiably in different cultures that have different uh, microtonal tuning systems as their standard tuning system, and then that just sounds good to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. I guess the question is, does that extend to like arbitrary levels of dissonance and like mm. uh, complexity? <laughs> is there an upper limit to how much screeching yeah. we can? Yeah. Do? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. I want to say no. <laughs> I mean, if, if you consider bands like um, Anal Cunt. <laughs> yeah. Or like Melt Banana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, th- there might be a point where you're just like, mm, maybe not. <laughs> like, <laughs> but there's someone who there's, there's someone out yeah, there. Yeah, there's who's there's, into there's it. a genre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or even just like to some people heavy metal just seems like the most horrible god awful mm-hmm. racket. All, it, I think it's all subjective. Yeah, it's totally true. Yeah. Well, I remember when I started to trying to listen to music with harsh vocals, my problem was that it all sounded the same. It's like it all sounds like screechy white noise, but then the more you like, if you start actually listening to different bands and different vocalists, like they all sound the same in the beginning, but then after you listen for a while, you can start to hear the differences. Mm. Right. It's really cool, and I feel like that was kind of the point where I started to to like it more. Yeah. Like, oh, I actually just don't like this vocalist, but I like this other vocalist who's doing this better, that better, also doing harsh vocals. Yeah, I guess when you have just more than one reference, you can really start to compare and contrast and 
you know, see what you like and what you don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is spectralism? Oh, uh, Trevor, I'll let you take that one a little <laughs> bit, and I'll kind of throw in bits here and there, you know? So, I mean, it's it, like like a lot of the isms, it's one of those things that's been, you know, as soon as someone coins it, everyone's like, no, this is... It, this isn't a thing and it's not what you think it is um but um a lot of the music that falls under that category um is based on either the harmonic series uh or and or um long durations and very slow slowly changing textures and um and it focuses a lot on what uh, people call liminal spaces. So like the the um, the spaces that are like in between different dif different areas of music. So like uh, for example, um, rhythm and pitch are actually the same thing, because mm. uh, if you have a, a rhythm that's below twenty hertz, which is the lowest range of our hearing, you're gonna hear it as like a as like a beat. Um, oh, yeah. But if it gets higher than 20 hertz you're going to start to hear a pitch but there's not like a definite it's like around 20 hertz but um that would be an example of a liminal spaces like that that area where where mm. rhythm starts to become pitch um and there's also uh uh that the fact that harmony is also continuous with timbre so like when you hear uh uh like a trombone or uh, especially like a wind or a string instrument playing a single note it's um there's a rich spectra of, of different frequencies you're hearing, but mm -hmm. um, you you perceive only one frequency. But there's there's actually a bunch of different components that are, that make it up, and um, composers like Gerard Grisé have have like orchestrated those different pitches so that it kind of fades in and out of sounding like a unified timbre and um, sounding like a uh, a bunch of different notes happening. Right. Mm. Uh, Su super cool. I, I uh, <laughs> I'm skimming through the uh the works uh on grise and one of the things uh there's a bullet point that's really nice to kind of <laughs> uh it's one of the ones that i that really caught me was uh treating sound as like a living organism it's just like a really unique mm. statement yeah yeah spectralism like i i feel like is way more organic than i mean maybe maybe any other <laughs> i mean like <laughs> yeah definitely like definitely serialism but also i would say like tonality mm -hmm. what makes more. it organic uh well the fact like uh i think this is one of the things tristan Murray talks about um in what's the name of the article in this article the revolution of complex gotcha, sounds gotcha. um that like in in tonal music and um serialism the like the musical atom is like a note like that's the smallest you can get mm -hmm. Mm. Um, but in in spectral music, it's it's like the the smallest atom is like the the percept like of the listener, at, you know whatever infinitesimal fraction of a second that is. Mm. Um, and that's uh, that's that's way more organic than like dividing things into a grid of of notes. Okay, fascinating. So that um, that serialism, as in the article that we reference is the uh what, shit what was the word they said the uh getting rid of a tone right what? Oh, an atom breaking it down into like the the most 
finite property. Yeah, that it's rooted in time rather than in tone. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a better way to say that, but I, I forget how they say it. <laughs> well, I think that's like rhythm is. I I mean, uh, I guess you know, rhythm could be one of the ways that makes things more organic. Is just like this sort of pulse that is generated even at like these frequencies that you know that hurts that we can't even hear you know it's just like it's a there's like rhythms baked into these tones that we hear so it's like it then eventually comes back full circle with rhythm being added in the music itself so it's kind of really interesting how that mm. happens mm -hmm. so how does rhythm relate to harmony so well. it's uh <laughs> <laughs> Along with the like the the rhythm being continuous with pitch, thing you can think of of harmonies as basically being just really really fast polyrhythms. Um, there's a video we should link to uh, of Adam Neely giving like a, a talk, but he has like a um, like a three against four against five like uh, drum beat in Ableton. Mm -hmm. And he just turns the speed up, and it becomes like a major chord. That's <laughs> yeah. That's oh the, yeah, yeah. The ratio of the of the um the rhythms. Um. I guess you could say like the rhythms of the the hertz eventually create the sound. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The frequency of of the um of the wave. Yeah. There's a quote from the program notes of Vortex Temporum by Grizet. It relates to this. Um, this is a Google translated from French, so there's a little bit of wonkiness in it, but it says, In Vortex Temporum, the three aforementioned archetypes will circulate from one movement to another in time constants as different as that of men, time of language and breathing, that that of whales, spectral time of the rhythm of sleep, and that of birds or insects. The contracted to the extreme where the outlines fade. Thus, thanks to this imaginary microscope, a note becomes timbre, a chord becomes spectral complex, and a rhythm a swell of unpredictable durations. Yeah, the first part <laughs> kind of sounded like gobbledygook. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could have a interesting sidebar on like the inability of language to describe music, <laughs> and like, yeah, let's do it now. Yeah, let's, let's get yeah. into it. Because like, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure y'all like read like program notes or like you know album reviews where it's just like <laughs> I, I gained literally nothing from this description. Yeah, it's just <laughs> like what is this? What's this song? Like I, I feel <laughs> like that's like more often than not. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because if if you could relate the idea in the form of a couple of paragraphs, then you wouldn't need the album or the the piece of music. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean it's it's really interesting, like. Uh, music can be thought of as like a universal language, but language can somehow not uh, really contextualize some of the the context <laughs> of music. You know, <laughs> <laughs> contextualize the context. I guess. <laughs> I'll say yeah. that. 
yeah music is universal languages is, is a whole can of worms <laughs> <laughs> yeah well as we touched on in our music episode i am convinced that music is the concept of language yeah mm-hmm. i mean it's like maybe one of the most like abstract versions of language mm. or, or or rather that it's it's not like a language but it's that it is language you know mm-hmm. because it each each individual piece is like its own language that obeys its own laws its own guiding principles that create logic and convey ideas and sensations in the same way that languages spoken languages do the same and that it's an internal logic system so that it's related to itself and that if you engage with it in a, with an open mind then you can derive the meaning from it without any external information yeah that's, that's nice yeah there's there's a lot to unpack in that yeah (laughs) yeah let's unpack it (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's interesting because obviously like there's a lot of um like a lot of how you interpret music has to do with your culture yeah and Mm -hmm. like you know like a major chord being happy and a minor chord being sad even there's lots of like Jewish music that's in a minor key that's supposed to sound happy right. and mm. um, that kind of thing, but yeah, at, at some at some level, certain things in music are are th- certain things in music are hard to like misinterpret. I think. Well, it, mm. it's isn't it? I might be wrong, but isn't it true that like I guess the pentatonic scale is like one of the scales that have been discovered by like sort of peoples all around the world like uh in like to- all, all different countries like without any sort of overlap this is like one of the scales that has come mm-hmm. forth yeah and did like you know the major peoples of the scale? north america um uh, a- asian cultures it's just kind of interesting how it's just like totally separate from thousands of miles yet this is you know i mean actually there might be more to that but i don't know i mean it could have been like uh discovered very early Mm -hmm. in africa and then kind of you know proliferated and and changed a little bit Mm. Um, right yeah yeah, i mean it's oh yeah go ahead i mean i think part of what makes the pentatonic scale special is that like all the note like it there's no there's no avoid notes as as you would okay. say in, in jazz <laughs> theory. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like it it like yeah it sounds it sounds good in like any combination mm-hmm. basically. And wh- um, why do you think that is? Is it is it uh, more closely related to the basic relationships, uh, har- harmonic relationships? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, um, not necessarily. I mean. Um, I, I think there's a simplicity in, uh, into it um, that that kind of I, I guess due to its limited size you're able to that I guess um, due to its sort of like shave down nature of of what it is you can do 
only so much with it and so it's kind of like just exactly what it is i don't know mm -hmm. yeah well, i guess there, there's no half steps is right. the thing mm. yeah which which would be the most dissonant interval so that it's closer down on the harmonic series the relationship between the pitches right right which would be central to spectralism is oh. the idea that bring it back <laughs> <laughs> that the organizing principles are derived directly from the physics of sound mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah which which you can kind of say about tonality but spectralism kind of goes a step further back from that and like takes away some of the limitations and um that it can it can still define consonances in in, in a similar way mm, tell me more mm. about that so i mean like kind of like we were saying like uh uh fr intervals that have like s uh simpler ratios between the the frequencies like lower lower whole numbers will sound more pleasing to our ear Mm. Okay. Um, and uh, not to get too poetic, but like I, I just found that I find that profoundly beautiful that like our brain is able to perceive mathematical beauty just like without even thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Back up on the poetry, <laughs> hey. Trevor. Too much. It's too much all poetry. Right. All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's spot on. It was pretty pretty um, cute, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's also like, um, I find it amazing that the, the natural, um, the natural uh, chord that that produces is like a dominant seven sharp eleven chord. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy. Um, mm -hmm. and like that the dominant chord in tonality is uh like perceived is just so dissonant that it like has to resolve <laughs> yeah like that's that's <laughs> like the driving force of tonality is that oh the dominant chord has to resolve <laughs> wow but yeah um, where where would think <laughs> <laughs> where would the one be well, without the, <laughs> the, the, the dominant <laughs> yeah um this may be w reading way way too deep into it but um do you think that could be related to the nature of reality in which things exist where they could not exist or rather where there could be non-existence there is existence and so it's this artifice that sort of emerged out of nothing that is all of existence um, this floating amid the void and so like it is that it's th that is what it is and that in existence there's this striving for uh what's the word uh, homeostasis there's a striving for homeostasis mm -hmm. where it always wants to return to the original state and if the original state is nothingness then the dominant seven representing presence would want to resolve away from itself you know there? could be 
could be. <laughs> it could be or it could not be. You know, it could like that's uh that is one of those things, you know. It's like the cat in the box, you know, maybe it's there, maybe it's not, you know. But we'll never know. But uh Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I do think uh I do think uh I guess nature and patterns and organisms, uh like uh there do seem to be sort of balance balances and things in check so you know to have a tonic you would need a dominant to bring that out and i think that i guess sort of reflected in spectralism you can see sort of the harmony of music you know sort of both sides of it that make a whole uh to it to where you can get tension and release and uh what have you but you know just sort of the sort of like you would need both sides to have one mm. so how does uh, how does spectralism achieve the duality between tension and release uh, I think so a lot a lot of spectralism from what I've listened to from from sort of the the clips given uh, the they tend to be they tend to like really dwell and really saturate uh, the tones uh, given, and so like it may be tension at first, I guess, of what your what of what I I originally perceived as tension and sort of these shifting tones, but it, it is sort of very organic into where the more you listen to it, that the tension that you originally thought was there may not necessarily be there, but like sort of parts of overall concepts of the piece mm. okay fascinating so it's the, the by by being so ardently present and stationary in these tonalities that the tension arises within the listener as the piece remains static right fascinating yeah it really it really forces you to be patient. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know though. For me, uh, I I mentioned this before, but I still, whenever I listen to spectral music, I am just brought into a state of consciousness where I take a nap. <laughs> 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 it's wonderful. It it brings me into a really transcendent, restful kind of trance-like nap mm -hmm. yeah it's, there's just something like something about um, just like letting these tones like really just sit with you like uh, my girlfriend listens to a lot of those 420 hertz you know three hour loop <laughs> thing and <laughs> I don't know <laughs> but like but um I don't know. It's just, yeah, I guess sort of like we said before, as the music remains constant and as these tones really sink in, your your consciousness and your whatever you're thinking of or whatever is allowed to sort of use the tones presented with the music and you're allowed to and kind of interpret it in, I guess, whatever state of mind you're feeling and it can be either pleasing or 
I mean, most often pleasing, but it, it sort of allows it as like a canvas for you to then, um, a canvas for your mind. Mm. Yeah. It reminds me of something, um, uh, my old teacher, Hunter Ewan, uh, said one time, uh, which was that in like music, that's not minimalistic, like the music changes. And that's kind of the point is to appreciate the change. But with minimalism, like the music stays the same and you change. Yeah. <laughs> um which I, I thought was really deep. <laughs> mm. Um and uh yeah, I mean, minimalism and, and spectralism uh they're they're not like um I don't know how like uh directly they were they were related, but there is this one piece, um The Well Tuned Piano by Lamont mm-hmm. Young. Either of y'all heard I, of that? No, I'm, I, I think I actually have okay heard that isn't it it's like a pre pre-tuned piano isn't it like or i don't know yeah it's like it's like uh five hours long and it's uh uh it's on youtube actually if you go look for it we'll we'll put a link um uh but yeah the piano is is tuned so that um i actually (laughs) i took some time like a week ago to to like make a patch on my keyboard that has that same tuning cool um but yeah it's and you can look up the tuning online but it's a lot of like uh harmonic sevenths so like the an exact frequency ratio of of seven to one um right or i guess uh four seven to four Mm. yeah um and uh yeah, it's like five hours long. Five hours long evolves very, very slowly. Um, I think it was written in like in the, the early '60s. Um, but that that's one piece in which I feel like minimalism and spectralism kind of come together. And so, uh, I, isn't like one other element of spectralism is sort of using like sounds created in uh, nature. Like I'm sort of reading this, and Grise uh, was influenced a lot by Conlon Nancaro, and I'm sort of reading that he used like sounds made by insects and small creatures. Well, in v- Vortex Temporum, he talks about in the program notes how the three movements are. He he starts with uh, some bass material and play each each of the three movements plays with that bass material on a different time scale akin to different animals so the mm. the first one i believe is like the human scale the second one is stretched way out and that's akin to whale song and then the third one is akin to insects were sped way up and then that's where you get into that liminal space of mm-hmm. between rhythm and harmony mm-hmm. that's pretty pretty cool and so that's all based off the same sort of uh original note set or grouping of notes yeah exactly wow. um well he he has he has some bass material that he derived from the simple tones of a sine wave a square wave and a saw Mm, okay okay and he he created those arpeggios and rhythms that you hear in the beginning of the piece to uh represent those concepts wow yeah music uh nature makes some really really interesting sounds uh (laughs) i don't know like it's yeah 
especially in texas we have like the cicadas oh yeah Uh which are just like so fucking loud (laughs) it's 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 really funny we had a a family member over today and she always associated the sound of cicadas with heat it was just like automatic anytime she heard cicadas she's like it's almost like if you could hear the heat you know what i mean yeah yeah those are those are pretty freaky bugs yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) like the the sound output like per size is probably just a crazy ratio (laughs) (laughs) the other day i was sitting on my i was lying down on my porch and i heard this weird buzzy noise it's a really unusual sound and i tried recording it and then i finally found what it was it was this small bee lying on its back, flapping <laughs> its wings. Man, Texas heat. <laughs> Getting them. Martha's Vineyard heat. Yeah, Martha. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Is it? How, how's the humidity in Texas? Uh, it's pretty bad. Yeah, it's not <laughs> great. It's not great. Um, uh-huh. Right now, it's really dry, so a lot of stuff is just burning, which is bad. Um, mm. But yeah, it was. It's it's pretty hot. Like I walked outside and, and just saw this beetle just like die, and that was, <laughs> it was it was really morbid. It was just like, you know. Um, uh, but all things need water and life. Yeah, so there's that. I imagine. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah that's uh it's it's been kind of hot it was like 105 so you know <laughs> yeah it's been super hot here too but then i was thinking like, it's probably nothing compared to you guys <laughs> <laughs> trevor what's uh did it oh okay. yeah, go on. Uh, uh what's a uh, what's a weird sound like you remember hearing oh gosh um your roommate in the next room with his girlfriend <laughs> 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 there's that I, think I, I could probably top that if I think about it yeah that was yeah my my roommate with his with his girlfriend that was <laughs> very 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 complex spectra and uh you know the transients are just pretty, pretty, the, uh, the part stupendous. the partials yeah did you yeah. applaud when they were done? <laughs> I, I cried. It was just so. It was so beautiful. Uh, moving, touching. Wow. <laughs> Although I remember when, when Matt and I. Um, Matt and I. Yeah, we. we uh, I forget. I guess it, this would have been in August. Like a few years ago, we went to see the the Perseids from Enchanted Rock. Oh yes, um, mm. just about two hours outside of Austin, and uh, we heard the coyotes like uh, howling. Just pretty. That's a pretty amazing sound. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was a that'd be a pretty cool sound to to do some spectralism mm. with, you know. <laughs> mm. Maybe for future Matt, have you done any uh composing at all uh let's see uh so in spurts yeah uh definitely i have 
as far as composition goes, I, um, I, I like doing some arranging of different things and I'm in a couple groups that it's mainly just arranging pop covers, but, uh, I don't know. I, I definitely think composition kind of comes every now and then. Like, I feel like I have ideas for, for stuff, but I think the problem I've had, I, or I guess maybe it's not a problem or I don't know who knows, but it's, uh, just like kind of having like one idea and like it'll be a cool idea or something but then building an idea off of that idea you know or like having that mm -hmm. that one thing like evolve without being like something like a loop pedal and just like looping for forever because like i mean living is really cool like ain't gonna ain't gonna um diss the loopers out there but uh but it's also you know making a piece that that really changes and is more complex mm -hmm. than just you know looped yeah that can yeah. be a challenging step i uh i heard on the radio that someone was playing next door one time a song and you you know the kind of song where they like have a clever hook like <laughs> some some sentence and then mm -hmm. they say oh okay there's that's enough we'll just repeat that a bunch <laughs> <laughs> yeah guess, guess how many times they repeat <clears throat> Guess how many times they repeated <laughs> the last eight bars? Oh, ten times. Ten times, Trevor. Do you want to top that? Uh, thirty. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're closer. It was twenty-four. Okay. <laughs> A full twenty-four times repeating the same eight bars without any variation whatsoever. Man, they, sounds, uh, sounds like they were on Adderall or something, yeah. <laughs> pu pu putting the minimalists to shame. <laughs> That's right. Just really going for it. <laughs> yeah, cir circling back to what Matt was saying about, like, sounds in nature, I, I like, um, like, analysis of found sound, I think just in general is is a huge thing within, within spectralism. Mm -hmm. um, mm. Eric, that one article you sent me uh, talking about... Uh, Grise like looking at the spectrum of a of a bell. Yeah. Oh and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and one one of the other things I think is really uh, amazing about spectralism is that uh, it really could have only happened in the twenty. <coughs> Careful. <Gesundheit>. Careful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, one of the other things I find really amazing about spectral spectralism is that it really could have only happened in the 20th century with the technology that we have mm. um, to an, you know an analyze sounds and synthesize sounds and record sounds um, which I, I don't I don't think you can really say that about serialism because like the you know you could have come up with that, that idea in the, in the 19th century and it would have you know it would have worked yeah <laughs> it, but like spectralism yeah. there's just like <laughs> no yeah, yeah. well wasn't the earliest serialism pre-Turing machine? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is yeah, that yeah, it, yeah. it? It isn't. Yeah, it doesn't uh, necessitate computers. Mm. So, is there is there spectralism without the use of technology? Are there examples of that? Yeah. Well, I guess like. Um, I mean, there, yeah, there are plenty of like spectral pieces that are acoustic pieces, mm -hmm. but just the whole the whole idea of uh, 
like the, the timbre being like a spectrum of frequencies like that whole idea mm-hmm. uh, I, I you know people knew about like harmonics and stuff before the 20th century but um as far as like being able to see really clearly like you know um oh like this instrument has like these different harmonics at these different levels you know and you can see like exactly yeah. like that that's what's creating timbre right. um so that, that would be really interesting to look into like when when the shift when we first discovered that because i really i really I like who pioneered that mm-hmm. trevor do you have a suggestion for some software to do spectral analysis of sound that uh is good for being able to tell the volume of each overtone yeah sphere is amazing and it's open source um but basically you can throw any audio file in there and it'll do what's called a, a Fourier transform, mm-hmm. which is, uh, which breaks it up into its component sine waves because any sound, uh, no matter how complex can be broken up into just simple sine waves that are, you know, only one frequency, um, at some amplitude. And then you can, uh, it'll display each sine wave is like this, this gray line, um, and you can edit those gray lines individually and like move them around and time stretch them and uh, really you can do some really crazy stuff. Um, that sounds really cool. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah you can manipulate manipulate sound at like a very very granular level. I'm definitely gonna download this. I've I've been kind of getting into <laughs> yeah like yeah I need to re-download it. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's really awesome program. Um, I found that there's some limitations to it and that it doesn't tell you the volume of each of the overtones. You just kind of have to guess based on the intensity of how dark the line is, mm. mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a challenge. And, and also, it's kind of hard to pick out exactly the frequency that the line is because mm-hmm. they, like when you click on it, it doesn't tell you. You have to approximate based on the readout of where your cursor is mm-hmm. actually mm. actually so um i i did this uh this new music vocal festival actually almost exactly a year ago last august and um we did a lot with this uh software voce vista um which is this uh like spectral analysis software um and and that does let you see uh like specific frequencies and amplitudes and then you can filter out um you know specific regions um and it's actually really really wild to like <laughs> listen to just Range. you know a certain a certain region of your voice and like just what those harmonics are doing and mm-hmm. you can see really interesting things happening when with when you like change vowels and that kind of thing wow. and um yeah it was <laughs> it's a lot of uh yeah there's a lot of uh learning about how yeah different how different vowels affect you know the um the formants and uh well not really affect the formants how those interact with the formants um and uh, how to use that to write write better vocal music yeah so yeah check out def- check out Bochy yeah. Vista <laughs> sounds Definitely. good there's some more expensive <laughs> so uh I guess sort of the the relationship with technology and spectralism where i guess or what are some of the next steps for like the relationship between them you know or or 
will, will things progress so much that it ends up just being not I don't know not worth it or is it just all the same I don't know <laughs> yeah I mean uh AI sidebar <laughs> Yes, <laughs> Eric, Eric knows where I, I go with this kind of question. <laughs> Literally every <AI>. uh, <laughs> single episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. it's okay, it's it's it's, 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 it's our segment, that yeah. Groundbreaking. Yeah. I, I mean, the, yeah, the thing that literally applies to almost every domain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, I mean like live processing I think is kind of the the kind of the in thing and has been for at least I feel like that's kind of like been the new music thing for like the two thousands. Yeah. Is okay. is like live processing and um yeah, being able to manipulate timbre in that way in, in real time and uh, even be able to like I mean like like I, I'm into doing being able to do that um like improvisationally. Um Oh yeah, it's it's pretty cool. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Uh, here's a question for you guys. What does music being live, in person, add to the experience? Uh, well, yeah. So with a lot of music concerts online, it's um, I I think there's sort of like a. Uh, I guess initially I think there's like kind of like a a disconnect. Uh so for for the performer, you know, sort of that instantaneous feedback of whether something was good or bad is relegated to like text or right. you know, clapping emojis. Um and then and then for the mm. for the yeah. listener, well, for the listener half the time the audio is just garbage. Uh <laughs> but like it's I don't know. Like it's it's really hard like finding the perfect balance for like vocals and and stuff like using instruments to sound as good as they do live across the internet. Um like it's definitely a lot on our end to make sure that mm -hmm. our sound comes out as clean as possible, but then even then for the listener there's like a lot of subtleties that you can kind of miss like just body language or just i don't know there's a lot of there's a lot of those things that, that are missed mm. with uh yeah okay fascinating um so how does that apply then between music that's live and let's say we're in person but between live generated sounds and pre-recorded sounds well i think with pre-recorded sounds there's definitely familiarity you know there's there well i guess it can be familiar if it's something familiar <laughs> but uh but um with i guess physical musicians seeing people there's definitely that connection of like oh there's someone there's there's like a presence doing this and i guess if it's all done at the push of a button there's sort of that element taken out of it yeah so let's talk about that what is that element well <laughs> yeah trevor yeah yeah and trevor trevor feel free to jump in as well if you yeah have any so, ideas. We're, so we're talking about like electroacoustic pieces that are like 
with a pre-recorded element versus live processing or just yeah in, yeah yeah i mean like going back to the, like the the idea of something being organic mm. um it's definitely a lot easier to make it sound organic if it's if it's all happening live um i, I like i feel like a lot of pieces that are like uh just you know a pre-recorded kind of uh backing trap track type thing uh it can feel very separate unless like uh mm. i remember uh there was a piece that uh this composer sarah cory that eric and i know did for flute and electronics um that like uh, it was just fixed electronics but because she used flute sound in in the um in the electronic mm. part it sounded like it could have been live processed and it sounded very, very organic um mm. but it yeah w if when it's just a fixed playback thing it can feel kind of like stale or just like separate from the uh from the the live part and also i mean that the mixing it just has to be like exactly right and that's true for live processing i guess too so you're saying that there's value in creating that immediacy in generating mm -hmm. the music yeah cool yeah i think i mean also i just like uh well, for our listeners at far in the future, because you know, I'm sure we'll have yeah. listeners that are listening to this. Thirty years. Like Thir Thirty years. Okay. Yeah, so clearly. This is during, this is during <laughs> the COVID pandemic. <laughs> it's become stuff of legend. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but um, I think I think that that like even even if it's like live streamed, um, like comparing like something that's live streamed or like in person a live performance like a recording um that that kind of just brings out the mm. like the human element of it and that it's literally someone like expressing themselves or or like committing their entire you know being in that moment into producing the music mm. whereas if you're just listening to a recording i mean a lot of, a lot of the times it's like a bunch of people went into like you know polishing it and making it sound just like immaculate and uh, uh you know in a bunch of different ways and and if it's in person or or you know if it's live then all the kind of like the the human flaws are there and all of the like little variations and and stuff are there and that, i think that just like makes it seem a lot more human oh yeah Definitely. i think you're absolutely right about that no it's it's really interesting like you could have the same you could have like a, a recording of i don't know chicago of you know this concert and you can hear it and you can have the best sound system possible but i think there is at the end of the day going to be a difference than being there live as it was being recorded instead of a recorded it just mm -hmm. uh it's like sort of a layer removed from the source of the sound mm-hmm so Eric, I know I know you know uh, about Shepherd Tones, but Matt, uh, uh, you, if you encountered Shepherd Tones before, aren't Shepherd Tones like two tones produced at the same time, like or more or more than one tune pr produced at the same time? Uh, I think uh, I Google it real don't quick. We, isn't there a trombonist <laughs> that we listen to that does this? Maybe. Ah. I think you're thinking of multiphonics. German Shepherds. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. 
I boil my ears really quick. Shepherd tone is an audio illusion formed by overlaying separate tones separated by octaves that each rise fall. Okay, and repeat independently on one another. Okay, I did. Yeah, and a little. Did you define a recording? Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the first place I heard one of those oh, really? was like on an episode Dude, of Magic were, School Bus. They were. They, they were. <laughs> I'm pretty they were sure I, I forget the. Early. I'm not sure about it. Oh, yeah. Some sound like that. <laughs> Blew your mind. But <laughs> um, that's something else that crops up in a lot of like spectral and microtonal music, um, specifically in the, the music of, of one of my favorite composers, uh, Gary Friedrich Haas. Um, he'll, he'll kind of imitate that effect a lot with like a bunch of like descending chromatic lines that, you know, kind of uh, fade in and then fade out mm -hmm. as, the, as they, you know, as they descend um or as they or as they go up um because you know have right. shepherd's tones going either way yeah. um so for our listeners it creates the illusion that the pitch is continually rising or descending forever without yeah. actually rising or that's descending. so weird that's just like yeah. a, that's a weird <laughs> phenomenon <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah, one of my favorite pieces by Haas, uh, in in vain, uh, and it's like an hour long, but a lot a lot of it is 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 based on that, and that I feel like that is that is one of uh, mm -hmm. the things that like creates tension in his in his mm. music because you're you're just kind of waiting for like okay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, this goes back to that uh, that dominant and tonic <laughs> relationship, you know. <laughs> sort of like a tension <laughs> release definitely <laughs> yeah so i guess uh where would like like multiphonics fit would on that scale i guess it'd be sort of similar to yeah so actually i mean so one thing um i know grise used this in in places boss acoustique but uh that's basically a rig modulation i think um, because when you do a multiphonic, your uh, frequency that you're singing and the frequency that you're playing uh, get added together, and you're hearing mm -hmm. the the sidebands basically, and right? Which are uh, for yeah, yeah. Go on. Is that right? Well, I I was just gonna ask you to clarify what a ring modulation is. So, Trevor, can you elaborate on what a ring modulation is? Yeah, so a ring ring modulation is when you multiply two frequencies together, and uh, and then you get two sideband frequencies, which are the sum and the difference of the of the input frequencies. How does that work? <laughs> uh, like acoustically, <laughs> like what do you mean? <laughs> 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 when a mommy frequency and a daddy frequency <laughs> like <laughs> right, yeah. it's the stork right so it's it's um it's it's kind of related to amplitude modulation which is when you have like a um like a sine wave and basically it's you know you'd just be turning it the volume up and down very quickly from like silence to full volume and if you right. do that fast enough you start to hear the um the rate that you're turning 
volume up and down as its own frequency. The frequency. And then that interacts with the the actual frequency of of the um other frequency. of the pitch to create uh as well, yeah, two two different sidebands. Cool. Um that's yeah. pretty neat. That's uh I guess that's another example of spectralism, if you will. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's it's uh yeah, dealing with like uh, kind of mathematical manipulation of, of sounds. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And and doesn't uh, Grise and uh, and other composers employ multiphonics to create the sounds that they're recreating in their orchestral pieces? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Nice. Oh, I made a, I made a woodwind instrument out of a stick of bamboo. Oh, nice. Bamboo. I have a lot of bamboo near my house, so if you ever want to make some more. <laughs> and it sounds really cool, really, really cool. Uh, I just stick my bass clarinet mouthpiece on the top, um, and I put the holes at where the harmonic series nodes mm. are within the tube. And it doesn't make a scale <laughs> that I recognize, but it plays in tune. Yeah, I have to hear this now. <laughs> like, yeah, Let's hear it. Uh, sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I'll just have to soak a reed. I I used to so stick uh, be a minute. my trombone mouthpiece in like a bassoon, in a bassoon, and I've kind of that worked. Yeah. No, but yeah. Um, uh, trombones. Uh, you could definitely make some interesting sounds. Like, you ever try blowing in the bell of a trombone? Oh, can you show us? <laughs> uh, I can try. Yeah, <laughs> do it. We're, we're gonna make a. We're gonna have a concert, right? Yeah. Excuse you. <laughs> Hold on, let me get a get a mouthpiece to going in Well, that's that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. That's uh, that's uh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, can you like? Can you do like lip slurs can on that? Slurs? Like, what does that sound like? We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Some tritone action.
that's actually a good idea. Can I buy one? Let's wow, that's go. Awesome. That's great. <laughs> Wait, what's what's the, what's the bass clarinet? What, okay, yeah, what kind of mouthpiece is that? It does. Dude, yeah. that's... Yeah, it sounds a lot uh, like yeah, a bass clarinet. definitely. That's pretty sick, though. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm, I'm pleased. <laughs> yeah, that sounded way better than I thought it was going to sound. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It sounds, it sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, doesn't doesn't sound that promising. Oh yeah, I have a stick of bamboo, <laughs> stick a mouthpiece <laughs> on it. Just just cut some holes into it, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, that's 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 awesome. Thanks. <laughs> hey, hope you're enjoying the episode so far. If you like what you heard, there are a bunch of ways you can help us. You can share our podcast on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, you can review us with five stars on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And tell your friends. Thoughts? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There were a couple other things thoughts. I yeah. wanted yeah. to talk about. If you guys have a minute, well, just in the article they talk about. <coughs> so in the article they talk about how there's a correlation between spectralism and modernism, mm. which uh, modernism is defined by the present moment and specifically separating yourself from existing paradigms and traditions and in the same way spectralism is a separation from existing structures um so what that made me think about was psychedelics actually yeah. in the s psychedelics are th in the same do, do, do you do you see a cor correlation uh, so say what you s so modernism is is about separating the self from the past the world is that what you said from the past from the past um so yeah so so it's 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 a yeah a separation from existing structures and mm -hmm. traditions yeah like the kind of the, the dissolving of boundaries kind of thing and yeah 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 exactly for sure Hmm. I was thinking because of the way that in a psychedelic experience you often have an experience of timelessness of just the present going on and on forever and ever and ever and that that, that same sort of presentness is rooted from you've gotten rid of your pre-existing framework so that the only experience that you can have is that of the present moment without any filters or uh hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. adjustments yeah yeah I've, I've always i've always thought that spectralism is is one of if not the most like psychedelic forms of oh of, yeah for like, sure classical music along with like mo mm -hmm. most of most of like contemporary classical music has that kind of bent to it but especially spectralism just the, the way it 
yeah, it deals with slowly evolving forms and like limits right. of perception yeah. and uh, all that stuff. Yeah, cool. And uh, like to me, spectralism specifically does that where other contemporary classical stuff does not. Like, sure, they're crazy. Oh, out there! Oh, look at all this dissonance and dissonance and wild stuff we're doing. But to me, that's right. not the core of the psychedelic experience. The core is that presentness and perpetual timelessness, which spectralism ex- explores yeah. so centrally. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I agree with that. I mean, just in like, yeah, the the timelessness structure created by, you know, these very slow moving things, just yeah, can can totally correlate with with that. Did you guys know that Grise was taught by Messian and also Stockhausen, Zanakis, ah. and Ligeti? I think I knew that. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty. He was, cool. he was I did not know that. Running around with all, all those boys. Cool. Yeah. Back back in the day, but yeah, yeah, right. So no wonder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he. I'm sure he did a lot of like uh, ear cam and all that stuff. Yeah, what is that's that? That's where a lot of those guys were. Ear cam. Like, uh, so ear cam is a. Uh, it was this or is this like center mm-hmm. in, in in Paris for experimental music, um, but like uh. A lot of people like gave lectures there uh like pretty sure stockhausen and ligety at least um did, uh did a lot of like research and and uh and like gave lectures there um but kind of at the at the forefront of electronic music for a long time mm-hmm. so uh have you guys listened to periodis by mm-hmm. Gr- it's Grisa? been a little bit but i've i've yeah heard bits of bits here and there I just heard it for the first time today, and woo golly! <laughs> <laughs> um, this this one hit really home to me. Uh, this piece of music, because yeah. about halfway through, he does this thing where there's like a single pitch, like a, a higher overtone that sustains very quietly, and then <laughs> sort of snowballs into a very aggressive dissonant sound very chaotic that as soon as it peaks cuts back down to just the one line and it does that several Mm -hmm. times in in quick succession Mm -hmm. now the reason this is so impactful for me is that when I was a kid I would occasionally be sick very sick and I would have fever dreams and in my fever dreams as a kid there was a recurring imagery that every time it was the same thing Um, it was a sensation that the best I could describe it is do you know the feeling of like that scotch tape with the matte uh, matte texture Mm-hmm. And running your finger across a perfectly smooth scotch tape just forever. And and and, mm-hmm. and th- that being analogous to the the tone, this ringing tone that I would hear. Um, that also mm-hmm. uh, I had the imagery of a faucet. 
it's just turned mm-hmm. on a little bit so that as that little laminar flow is dripping down and you hear that and it's so quiet and subtle in the background just like the pitch in periodis and then it would there'd be a, like a little lump in the scotch tape a little nick and it'd be like uh oh what was that and it would go back to the line and then it would start to snowball and snowball until it was just like a chaotic absolute <laughs> madness in my mind and then it would cut back and i'd be back to just the single pitch waiting mm-hmm. that's pretty that's pretty <laughs> awesome <laughs> wow i mean not not not, not the being sick part uh, but yeah. you know. <laughs> wasn't at the time <laughs> mhm <laughs> but it it was it's so remarkable cuz what Griset has portrayed in his music is this very particular unusual internal experience that i had had as a kid yeah it's it's uh i feel like music does that a lot you can map something that was like created you know 50 years ago something relevant it seems like exactly onto some experience that like yeah in your life that that just like it it fits so perfectly Mm -hmm. um because it's it's like universal yeah in some way absolutely i guess you could you could uh say that like imagining that that stream of water still still would just be natural sound yeah 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 and and that all these sensations were arising within my organism as a kid Mm -hmm. um and so this actually ties into one last thing i want to talk about which is that Griset died at age 52 of an aneurysm wow you guys know that no i didn't that's i do that yeah yeah, apparently he had like a crazy work ethic, and and was just like it's so going weird all the time. How there's like people like that. Yeah, I that believe just, it. Like, they don't have an off button, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, but I wonder if maybe the psychological state that could have led to that is maybe inextricably tied to the music that he's creating sort of as as like a representation of sort of the the emotions that he was dealing with with sort of this mentality of constants yeah or maybe even not emotions so much as internal experiences such as Mm. my fever dream yeah, I mean, just like very, very intense and almost like hallucinogenic. I mean, this mm-hmm. is experiences. I mean, that also, like, when did what year did he die? Ninety-eight, I think. Ninety-eight. I mean, but I mean, so he was. I mean, I guess like having all these new, <laughs> sort of expressions of that. Like, I don't know. That's kind of a interesting, like, mantle the hold of just like all these, like, sort of sounds and ideas that were were really really fresh and and i'm not sure how it was taken in 98 or or like Mm. sort of that era but like that's i could see if you have like this passion for this 
these sounds and these things that need to be written and you have like a really big passion and then I don't know what was big in 1998 you know maybe like early Taylor Swift no I don't know <laughs> but like you know what I mean but <laughs> yep. well yeah. sure compared I mean, to pop yeah, music but, but. Yeah, I mean, I think spectralism was kind of all the rage. Yeah, like pretty pretty quickly after it after it happened. Mm-hmm. You, they um, were writing articles and everything about it. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was he was very um, respected in his time. Um, but t- to me, spectralism is such a. It, it offers a very direct view into infinity. You know what I mean? It's it's like there's so much that your mind can so many directions your mind can go in if you're trying to encompass this thing Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it and here's grise at the very forefront trying to pioneer this this concept yeah it reminds me of that whatever that mathematician was who like went insane <laughs> from working on problems involving infinity uh, I yeah. Could, yeah just peering into the <laughs> infinite and just being like oh shoot yeah <laughs> yeah i absolutely believe that um i'd love to see yeah. a reference to that because that sounds super interesting yeah um yeah i mean part part of what how how is spectralism like relates to infinity is just the idea of fractals yeah and the idea that like uh uh like you, have, you can have an instrument like playing things in the overtone series, and then the instrument's timbre itself will be related on, you know, will be composed of the overtone series, mm-hmm. and and it's like ev- everything kind of exists at at different, the same thing can exist at different scales, gotcha. basically. Yeah, yeah, and and so when you start playing with fractals, you start to get into like. If, if you consider your mind as an information processing system, you start to get into layers of infinite information, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of just this mm-hmm. overload of information. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I personally s- totally see a connection between that and uh, maybe having an aneurysm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just having like all these thoughts and, uh, and on top of that, like a crazy big worth work ethic, like that's that's a lot, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean it's not unprecedented too. If you look at Charles Ives, um, in his life had had a couple or several inf- in his life had several incidents where he and his family describe them as a heart attack, but it's maybe supposed that it's more of a psychological thing that happened to him. Um, and after one of them, he basically stopped composing. And then several le- years later, after another one, he comes downstairs and he's got tears in his eyes. And he says to his wife, I can't do it anymore. I can't write any more music. Man. That's, yeah, that's very intense. Sort of like vocal dystonia or something, you know, being able to... Um, play an instrument and then just one day sort of waking up and just like not having the ability to play it anymore you know jeez that's terrifying yeah, it's, it is really weird yeah they say it's a lot due to like doing habits wrong and like sort of like kind of playing on autopilot uh that your your brain like slowly i guess maybe without you even knowing it like forgets what it's doing to where then eventually mm. one day you just can't do the fundamental thing of just 
you know, simple notes. Oh, kind of a form of uh, dementia, maybe. Maybe so. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not too too sure of, of how it all stems from, but yeah, that'd be something to look into. Yeah, that's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of a dark, yeah, right? dark note to yeah. end on. <laughs> yeah. Now here's some music. Yeah, yeah, so I just wanted to talk about a couple more things. Uh, how about aneurysms? <laughs> but but, but uh, I guess like it's also weird too, isn't it? Like some people with like perfect pitch will eventually like their ears will kind of go out of tune to pitch, and then like a lot of, or I guess if your your idea of perfect pitch changes somehow with age, like it, it's kind of gone. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, all <laughs> things change in time. That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the world is better for having had the experience. That's why with spectralism, you can really appreciate the the now, the the modern, <laughs> the the modernization of just being in the present. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm kind of a celebration of being in the present yeah yeah, yeah it's that's a, good a more positive it. note
<laughs> awesome. Way to loosen stuff up, you know. 